Welcome to today's workshop entitled The Importance of Engaging Fathers in Social Work Practice. Our speaker for this workshop is Mark Robinson. Thanks for joining us today. Mark Robinson graduated from Syracuse University with an MSW. He designed and implemented a fatherhood program in Syracuse, New York. He established Restore Incorporated, a nonprofit organization for restoring fathers back to the head of the family through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is currently the director of field education at Lord's University, Department of Social Work in Sylvania, Ohio, and he has authored a curriculum titled Restoration of Eyes. Please welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I'll start by saying this. Uh, I know that I'm on an assignment from God today because the devil is trying to mess up my presentation by blanking out my screen here. <laughs> but the devil is a liar, and I'm going to do what God has sent me here to do. I just have to be looking at this with you guys instead of being able to spatially look at my monitor and, and you know, kind of uh, modify what I'm saying. It won't affect the content, just that I'll be looking at the monitor with you guys instead of looking at my laptop. Uh, as said, I am uh, currently the director of good education at Lord University in uh, Sylvania, Ohio. But I'm also the founder of a nonprofit uh, faith based organization, Restore, which I developed to uh, restore fathers back to the head of family through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through that, I, uh, I developed a curriculum which uh, God inspired me to write. Uh, which uh, is called Restoration of Fathers, which is uh, God's blueprint to successful fatherhood. It's the design that God originally established when he created man to be a father in the garden. Not what we try to get fathers to become nowadays. Like, you know, back in the 50s and 60s was the ideal families, two parent families married, you know, fathers provide a mother, stay-at-home mom, and you know everything was supposed to be attacked and, and, and pretty much and should be. Uh, so today, when we're working with fathers, uh, uh, we try to get fathers to go back to the way it used to be. And the way it used to be is, is measured by the way it was in the fifties and sixties. But even in the fifties and sixties, and sixties, that's not what God designed. It was just better than today. So from a faith-based perspective, if you're going to restore fathers. You got to take them back to the beginning. Restoration and restore means to return something back to its original form, not refurbish it. You know, not uh, what's another word? Uh, not not redecorate it, redesign it. Restore means to return it back to its original form. So when you talk about work with fathers, if you want to really uh, help them to get back to where God intended them to be. You got to look at what God's purpose was when He created man to be a father, and you got to look past the measure of what society says the father is. So that's that's just a little background on, on the curriculum that I wrote based on my years of working with fathers. Uh, what we're going to look at today is some of the current, most recent research and the statistics around the importance of fathers and the consequences of the children when fathers are absent. Now, let me remind you that these are statistics and the likelihood and chances of 
doesn't mean that uh, it's, it's guaranteed outcomes because fathers are absent. Because there are many families uh, that are single mother households where children grow up to be successful, very positive, productive in life. I'm a product of one of those families. Single mother household. My mother worked hard to make sure I became something in my life. And my brother as well. Uh, so single mothers can do a very good job. But that's not God's design. Uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna, when you look at these statistics, it's just what is the likelihood based on the research of consequences in children who we face today in service in our social work practice. And, and some of you may be, how many are fatherhood practitioners in the room? You work directly, provide service to fathers. Okay. Maybe indirectly, you work with the child, but as part of the uh, intervention plan, it includes incorporating the father. So that's indirectly working with him. Your primary is the child, but the father is somehow involved, and it becomes necessary to engage him to be a part of the successful outcome for the child. Uh, so we're going to look at the statistics. We're going to look at uh, what are the barriers to fathers engaging in social services? Why, why aren't they a part of intervention plans? Why don't they seek out services? And why don't social service providers seek out to engage the fathers? What are some of those barriers? Uh, then we're going to also look at, uh, as we are all here, we are, must be Christian social workers that we hear at this conference. So then we're going to uh, look at the, the biblical principles and the importance of engaging, engaging fathers. Now, I have a lot of information here, so I'm, I'm going to go fast because I can do this in a half a day seminar, but we only have an hour. Uh, so I'll go uh, as quick because I do want to get to the very end. I don't want to leave us short. But if there's something that's, that strikes a nerve or something that relates to what you do and we want to park there for a moment, feel free to do so. Just stop me and let's have some dialogue about that. You know, there's no problem with that. Uh, but I, I really want to make sure we get through all this because it's so important that we get to the end of it. Okay? So bear with me as we move fast. Hopefully not too fast. Okay, we're going to look at the data here. So according to the uh, 2011 U.S. Census, we had, there were 24 million children living at home without a father just last year. Uh, a third of those were, 64% uh, uh, were African American children. Not 64% of that 24 million, but just 64% of all African American children lived absent uh, in a home after their father. 34% for Hispanic children and 25% uh, for uh, white children. Uh, versus in 1960, only 11% of all children lived in a home without a father. So as you can see, because these statistics go back to 1960s when there was only 11%, modern day efforts are designed, let's get fathers back to that 11%. It would be better than today, but it's still not perfect. That's the secular way of addressing fatherhood concerns. But we're Christians and social We're going to get to that. We're going to look at the natural implications first. Uh, children live absent their fathers are at least two times likely to be poor, to be drugs, to experience educational health, emotional and behavioral problems. Uh, they're going to be victims of child abuse. Uh, they're also going to be more likely to engage in criminal behavior. 
to those who grow up in a household with uh, two biological parents. Uh, so the research is clear uh, that children do better when there's a responsibility involved father in their lives. That's what the research says, you know. And I'm sure, you know, if, if any of you, you know single mothers, like I said, I was raised in a single mother household. Uh, there are children, who, many children who grew up to be successful adults who, who came up in a single mother household. But we're talking about what the research says based on the consequences that are happening to children's lives today. Uh, so as Christians in social work practice, we view the role of the Father from a, from a biblical perspective, which is what I was setting up at the beginning. We look at not what the secular deems as appropriate fatherhood, but what God has intended for, for fathers to be. Uh, and the research that the secular world used, it confirms the importance of fathers and, uh, uh, as God intended them to be to their children. So what you see, what the research is confirming is what God has, has said all along. they just taking it and saying this is what the data says so that it can be more secularly approved and, and scientifically researched and empirically based so that that section of uh, service providers can accept it. Uh, it also reveals the consequences in the lives of children and society we live in when fathers are out of position that God created them to be. So God created men to be fathers, he created with, with a purpose and a role. And he identified that in the beginning. When Adam stepped outside of God's purpose, he became out of position. So, you know, when you do things in God's order, you're in position. After Adam stepped outside of God's order in the garden, became out of position to be able to perform God's purpose in which he created him for. So ever since Adam did the apple, all mankind's been out of position unless they got back into the light. They've been in darkness. We're going to talk about that further on. Okay, uh, so every major social ill that we face in our society uh, can be linked to fatherlessness. We've got violent crime, Drug, alcohol use, truancy, teen pregnancy, suicide. All of those uh, statistics say uh, uh, can be tracked to the actions of fathers in the lives of those who are in those statistics. So, uh, the research confirms that most significant factors in the life of the child is not race or family. And we all know how important race and, and family and economics are in our society. Uh, they don't compare to the destructive impact of fatherlessness in America. Uh, everything is measured by race in this country, economics, you know, and, uh, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, race and economics, right. But they don't compare to the effects of fatherlessness. So, you got 63% of youth that commit suicide. They come from a father's so home. Anybody work with children who have attempted or successfully committed suicide in here? Uh, 90% are all homeless children, runaways. They come from a father's home. Anybody work with runaways and homeless children? Is their father in the home? 85% uh, of children uh, that exhibit behavioral disorders 
come from fatherless home. You work with those kind of children from fathers with this behavioral disorders? Is the father in the home? Uh, 80% of rapists with displaced anger, they come from fatherless homes. We got 71% of all high school dropouts, they come from fatherless homes. They like work with high school students, dropouts. Most likely the father is not in the home. Uh, 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless home. Who works with substance abuse children? You. Fatherless home. 70% of juveniles in state operating institutions. By that category, how many of them have fathers in the home? 82% of all youth sitting in prison. Fatherless homes. 82% of teenage girls who get pregnant come from fatherless homes. By working with teenage girls who are pregnant, there's a father in their life. Okay. And mothers and fathers are equally important. I agree with that. Right? Children need both a mother and a father in their life to be, to be raised holistically. The research is clear though, children do better in every measure of development when there's a responsibly involved, responsibly involved father. You saw the research, right? Even though mothers are equally important, you see the consequences in children's lives. The research is, is, is there, it's fact, that they do better when there's a father involved. Uh, so for that reason, it's important that uh, as social workers, child welfare workers, child therapists, fatherhood practitioners across the nations uh, are made aware of the importance of engaging fathers in social work practice. Uh, as social workers, it's so important that you understand that the problems that you're working with uh, with these children have its roots connected to father absence. And if you just only understood that if we can get the father to be involved with those children, our work would be a, a lot less complicated. It would be easier to get positive outcomes in the life of children if they had a father involved. So that would make sense that if we want our children that we're working with to be successful, that we should somehow make efforts to seek out the father, engage him, and help address whatever his deficits are in his life. So, uh, dads, fathers are either present or they're absent. They're either responsibly or they're irresponsibly involved, or they're completely uninvolved. So you can be present but completely uninvolved. You can be present and be uh, irresponsibly involved. Well, one way or the other, one way or the other, that dad's going to have an impact on his children. Present, absent, responsibly involved, irresponsibly involved, or uninvolved, he's teaching his children to do what he does. If he's uninvolved, he's teaching his sons that when he becomes a father, that uninvolved is the pattern. He's teaching his daughter that when she becomes pregnant and has children, that it's okay for the father of her children to be uninvolved. That's why you have high uh, social uh, welfare enrollment for teenage pregnancy because girls 
begin to internalize that it's okay for me to have a baby and don't have a father there. Because they didn't have a father in their life. They were raised to see them on the household. They repeat that cycle. Uh, so in these circumstances, it's undeniably necessary to engage and solicit his involvement in intervention plan of action as long as he does not pose a threat. I do not advocate and encouraging a father that is uh, abusive to the mother to be uh, involved in the life of his children. I do not advocate for a father that abuses his children to be engaged in that. So if he's a threat to, to himself, to his children, or to the mother of his children, I don't, I don't advocate that we uh, engage that type of father. Let's make that clear. Uh, in many cases, the absence of the biological father contributes to the increase of child maltreatment. Okay? Just take, for example, if, uh, if the dad is actively involved in the life of his children, he doesn't have to live in the home, but if he's actively and responsibly involved, he's got every other weekend visitation, he's got holidays and all those, he's paying child support, and he's coming as he's supposed to at the time and date of his visitation, picking his kids up, being responsible. Children run to him, hug him, daddy, 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 because they're waiting on their visit. But the mother is involved. She's got a boyfriend. Whether he lives there or not, he's, he's in the picture. She may be remarried and have a stepfather. When he sees that those kids look forward to their father picking them up every other weekend, He's responsibly involved. Before he hurts those children, he's going to think in the back of his mind, I've got to deal with that dad if I do. So the chances that that child is going to be maltreated by the mother's uh, social boyfriend, what they call the social fathers, that's the mother's boyfriend, or even the stepfather, those are not his biological children. So if he has any tendency to be violent or aggressive, or to mistreat them, he's going to think twice when there's an actively involved father involved in, in the life of those children. Because he don't want to have to deal with that father. Because now that father's going to be mad, you hurt my children, and he's going to be wanting to uh, take some action against this man, the mother's boyfriend or the stepfather. So maltreatment, the risk of maltreatment goes down when the fathers are involved, whether he's in the home or not. Maltreatment is usually done not by the uh, biological father that they have. It's usually perpetrated by the mother in most cases or the mother's boyfriend or stepfather. It is not the biological father who is implicated in most child abuse cases in maltreatment. And he's least likely to be the one. Okay, a uh, study using data from the National Longitude Study of Adolescent Health explored the relationship between family structure and risk of violent acts in a neighborhood. And it showed that where there was uh, a dominant number of fathers in that neighborhood, violence went down. Because fathers are actively involved in uh, protecting their children, making sure the neighborhoods are safe, that what's going on in that neighborhood is safe for the children to go out and play. So when there's, there's a, a neighborhood where there's a, a, a predominant number of single mother households where there are no fathers in that patrol in that neighborhood making sure it's kids are safe, you have more acts of violence in that particular neighborhood. 
Because fathers are not just sources of financial income. They also protectors, they are encouragers, they're leaders, they're role models, they're disciplinarians. So when fathers are disciplining their children in a particular neighborhood, the neighborhood becomes safer. The crime goes down. This because of the presence of fathers. So the more a neighborhood has a, a, a higher um, percentage of single mother household, the higher likelihood that there's going to be crime in that neighborhood. <clears throat> okay, drug and alcohol use. Uh, there was a study done with 296 adolescents and it revealed that uh, when the fathers smoked and did drugs, it increased the likeliness, likeliness that those kids were going to do drugs and smoke. It weakened the relationship between the father and his children, uh, and it, it decreased the chances that the father was going to even intervene when his kids started doing drugs and smoking, because he did. If he's doing it, uh, he's not going to discipline his own children for doing it. You know, he made, you know that old saying, do as I say it, not as I do. If a father does drugs, or he comes home and he drinks himself to a stupor every night, he has his kids looking at him, and he tells his kid, don't ever do what I do. Just do what I say. Don't you ever drink, don't you ever smoke, you better not ever do drugs in your life, or you got to deal with me. But that's what he does every day. He comes home, that's what they see. They're going to do what he does before they do what he says. You know, I believe that saying should never have been made, do as I say and not as I do. Because kids will walk in the footsteps of their father long before they adhere to the wisdom of their mother. You know, single mother households, raising boys, telling their mother, telling their sons, son, don't do this, son, don't do this, son, be this way, son, be this way, be a man, son. That a mother can teach her son how to be a positive, productive, successful male in society. Teach him how to be a man of integrity. Teach him how to have good character, be honest and trustworthy. All the things that everybody should be, male or female. A mother can't teach that to both of her sons and daughters. But she can't role model how to be a man. She can't role model how to be a father. She can only put in him some good character and integrity of a human being. And boy needs to see his father walking out the footsteps of a father, of a man, going to work, taking care of his family. He needs to see that. Yes, mama told you a lot of good stuff. But a boy would do what his father does long before he does what his mother says. Okay, schools. We're talking about education. Children do better in schools when they have the father present in their life. Just like when a child plays a sporting event or is involved in playing a piano recital or is a cheerleader or whatever sport or extracurricular activity a child is involved in. How many see that commercial that's on now? I think it's like a, 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 a phone, an iPad commercial with a little, the Asian boys behind stage. And he's looking out behind the curtain to see if his dad is in the audience. And he's sad because dad is not sitting front and center. But as soon as it's his time to come up, his mother shows a big iPad of dad watching. And he's happy. He goes out and plays his best performance. Same thing with schools. 
your dad show up to all the teacher uh, teacher parent conferences and it's there for everything that the boy or, or, or his daughter is involved in school, they're going to excel in that school. Just like if dad is in the football stands cheering his son on, that's my boy, yeah, go. He, he plays the best game of his life. Well, for every boy who plays football, his dad is never in the stadium, never in the stands, never at practice, never encouraging. He, he doesn't perform as well as that boy who has his dad cheering him on game after game. And the girl or the other, whatever other activity, if it's a recital or cheerleader, when dad is present, they do better in that area. Mom could take them to practice every day, pick them up every day, soccer mom, take them to practice, take them everywhere they have to go. But the moment dad shows up on the field, they play the best game of their life. And mom is the one taking them to practice and picking them up every day. So, in education, when dad goes to school and lets his children know that education is important to me, they're going to do well in education. Because they want to please dad more than anything. A child wants to please his father. So it's the same thing in education. Just as he will do better in sports, he or she will do better in sports, he'll do better in school as well. <coughs> so we look at emotional and behavior problems. Children do better uh, uh, when the relationship with their fathers, uh, they were less likely to experience depression when they had a relationship with their father. Uh, less likely to exhibit pro-social behavior. They're more, more likely, I'm sorry, to exhibit pro-social behavior than they were when there was not a father involved in their life. <coughs> and the same study found that boys with involved fathers had fewer school behavior problems and that girls had stronger self-esteem. I used to work with a boy in the fourth grade. Uh, I was a male, I was a, a uh, uh, a school-based mental health clinician for a while. And I worked in an all-boys school. And I would work with all the boys that the teachers had behavioral problems in the classroom. They, they uh, demonstrated all kinds of issues and distractions and behavior issues in the classroom. So they would get referred to me to have counseling and deal with them with individual issues. I discovered that 85% of all the boys that were being sent to me were growing up in a household without a father. So uh, I began to start a program that would get fathers to come into school once a month called All Pro Dads. So this is a program that Tony Dungy uh, was exposed before as well. Uh, so when I did that, I began to see the behaviors decrease. The children were doing better in the classroom, less referrals, because I was getting the fathers to come into the school. So those uh, uh, behavioral problems, the disruptive behaviors began to decrease. So we talk about poverty. That's a, that's a natural consequence of father absence, the lack of income, the lack of resources. Children who grow up in father absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. So in 2011, 12% of children in married couple families were living in poverty, compared to 44% of children in uh, mother-only families. Teen pregnancy again, uh, the phenomenal study of adolescent mothers' experiences of having become sexually active, it was revealed that teen mothers' experiences of living without a strong father figure were an important factor of having, uh, of becoming sexually active. 
So the fathers are present, their daughters do not want to disappoint them. Matter of fact, their fathers are in the household telling their daughters, I love you. Uh, and daughters hear their fathers giving them words of encouragement and supporting them and nurturing their, 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 uh, their goals and their desires that they have in life. They're less likely to go out and, and be uh, manipulated by, by some young boy in the community because they know that their father's not going to have that. You know, so teenage pregnancy goes down, and this is this is what teenage girls who become pregnant say, uh, and those who do not also say that it's because there was a father or there was not a father involved. <coughs> and, and what I'm giving you is now a lot of uh, data and uh, empirical, secular-based information, <laughs> but. Uh, all that could be related to the fact that uh, it, it has its biblical roots. Okay? We, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. So, if all those statistics didn't convince you about the importance uh, of fathers in the life of their children, take a look at this one. 2006, the government spent $100 billion in social service programs targeting families that had no fatherhood. Uh, 99.8. National Fatherhood Initiative put out an article uh, called The $100 Billion Man. That's what it cost the government to take care of children and single mother households because the father has removed himself through all kinds of programs. You have these programs, you have earned income tax credit and goes to single mother households. Why? Because the father isn't there to take care of them. So they qualify for that. Uh, temporary assistance for the family's tanner. Why? Because the father's income is in the household and the single mother's living below the poverty line. Child support enforcement. To, you know, when dads get $10,000 behind, they get a warrant out for their arrest. When the police got to go out and arrest them, they, gotta, they go to court. That's an expense. They go to prison for six months. You know how much it costs to put a man in prison per day? $5,000 per day for six months. That's taxpayer money. That's government money that we're putting out to, to take care of a man who doesn't pay his child support so that the, that the government can pay $5,000 a day to put him in prison and still take care of his kids while he's in prison. So that it's a double dipping there. We're keeping him in prison and we take care of his family while he's in prison. When he comes out of prison after six months, he's got a felony conviction. He can't get a job now because he has a felony. He never committed another crime in his life, not even a speeding ticket. He just didn't pay his child support. So now he comes out to go back to work, his job won't be hired. He can't get a job anywhere else because now he has a felony. So now the government's got to continue to use tax dollars to pay for his kids. And his child support continues to grow. So. A uh, hundred billion dollars, Medicaid, housing programs, uh, health insurance. A hundred billion dollars. That was in 2006. I imagine that it's, it's, it's a little bit more than that today. So, a hundred billion dollars on top of all those other consequences that are affecting the lives of the children. Natural consequences. We as taxpayers contribute to $100 billion to take care of fathers. It makes sense to me 
that I'm going to take care, I'm going to help this father now so I don't have to pay my tax dollars and help take care of his children. Alright? So what are some of the challenges that fathers have to be involved? If you look at historically, uh, fathers have had an adversarial relationship with social services. Typically, social services were never designed to help fathers. It was designed to help single mothers, widows, and orphans back when during the war. Right? That's where the social service was enacted. To help single mothers, widows, and orphans who were affected by the war. It was not designed to help fathers. Right? Uh, matter of fact, there was never a social service program enacted to even have any help to fathers until the GI Bill, which wanted to help fathers who came back from the war to get, be able to take care of their families, get housing, get education, and all those things. But that's all it was for. You know, it was really designed to help the women and single children, and the single mothers and the children. Uh, so the fatherhood crisis comes from social and economic causes as well as public policy and also some political agendas. Uh, you got the, the most significant one is the family court system. So when there's divorce, uh, the family court system automatically grants custody to the, to the mother. Even when the father says, uh, I'm willing to take care of these kids. I'm willing to, to have them stay with me and be the custodial parent. It's, it's, he's not going to get them, even when he's willing to. The mother says, I want them. He says, he wants them. The courts, do uh, you have a comment on that, some experience with that? Yes, I work in legal aid in, in uh, Chicago, and we do family law. Mm -hmm. um, I have to disagree with you. Okay. We have a lot of fathers that have custody of their children now, and we work with mothers and, and fathers. But um, the statistics are rising in Chicago where we do have head of households being single fathers and not single mothers. Right. So this 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 study is based on Ohio, right? No, national. National. national yeah. But but there's an agreement in those cases where fathers get awarded. There's a, a, a mediation that takes place in an agreement generally before they get into court. I'll right. Am I right? Right, yes. It's usually agreed upon before the judge has to make a determination. The father is present, says, I want them, the mother agrees, you take them. Or maybe maybe a mediation is determined that the father is, is best suited. But if it gets in front of a magistrate, it's more than likely that if there's a, 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 a non-agreement between the mother and the father, and they both suit equally, the mother's going to be granted custody and the father's going to be well, not. Unless it's mutually agreed upon through mediation before it gets to the magistrate. So this, this is what this is referring to. Those court systems automatically favor a mother even when the father is equally confident and willing. Have you had your hand up? Were you just agreeing? I was just going to reiterate that. I mean, I work here in That's one of the barriers that fathers have is 
although you have all these other entities, welfare, child welfare, child protection, child support, and other quasi-police enforcement, it's the court system which is the major linchpin in this Other barriers, AFDC, Aid to Families with Dependent Children, which became canon in 96, which is our current welfare system. Uh, when it was established, only very poor families composed a single mother to be qualified, right? Uh, program discouraged marriage and work. Because if there was a father in the household, you wasn't going to get the welfare money. And when this, when this program was established, uh, low-income families, the dad didn't make very much money to begin with. And it became beneficial. We could get more money from the government than your minimum wage job. So the mothers and the fathers in agreement said, I'm going to move out so that you become eligible. While he was out, all kinds of stuff happened and pushed him further out. He became useless. He found himself not as important or significant in the family by society, by society terms and other contributing factors. He continued to push him further and further away. And a lot of that is self-choice as well, too. Uh, but these systems have discouraged marriage and work because the women can, can make the more babies they have, the more money they can get off the welfare. As long as there's not a father in the household who's bringing home minimum wage, we'll do better without him. Uh, so to be eligible, no father lived in the home. So fatherless families are a growing problem, but the principal cause is not the bad behavior or fault of fathers to government policies. There are deadbeat dads who make babies you know they're not going to take care of, have no plan, no attention. Those are dead dads. But you also have some dead broke dads. They make babies, they want to take care of them, they want to be involved, and they just don't make enough money to take care of them. They can't even feed themselves, take care of themselves, put a roof over their own head. They want to be the best dad they can be to their children, but they're just dead broke. They can't from you know, that goes to irresponsibility in their choices before he became a father as well. But nonetheless, whether he was irresponsible in his choices, he didn't make that baby by himself. They were both irresponsible in their choices. Nonetheless, there's a baby here. He doesn't have the means to take care of her. She doesn't have the means other than going to welfare. So, what does that mean? I can do better on welfare without you. Uh... There are responsible fathers out there uh, that are going through a divorce, and we just talked about this one. Responsible fathers do understand and take responsibility for their obligations. They should be rewarded, not punished. So if a dad wants to be involved with his kid, if he wants to uh, raise them and have custody of them, uh, he should be allowed to. But the system, in most cases, favors the mother. there's a study that finds that mothers do play an important role, uh, both in encouraging and curtailing fathers' involvement. And this is what they call uh, maternal gatekeeping. The mothers have custody, they have a child support order, uh, and the relationship between the, mo- between the mother and father went sour, for whatever reason. They just don't get along anymore. Maybe perhaps they never did. And she has a child, he doesn't. She doesn't like him. He doesn't like her. She's not going to let him see the kids even if he wants to because she doesn't like him. She's hurting the child. Not. She's hurting him 
but she's hurting the child more. That's what maternal gatekeeping is all about. And oftentimes, single mothers will dangle the children out in front of dad like a cat in front of a horse. If you don't do this, you can't see your children. If you do this, you can. If you buy this, you can. If you buy this, you can. You know, so they use the, the children like pawns and carrots in front of a horse to get the dad to do whatever they want them to do in order for him to see his kids. So maternal gatekeeping is an obstacle and a challenge for dads to be involved with their kids. Uh, and historically, the child welfare is viewed as the practice that takes place between women. Okay? Most child welfare agencies have female social workers, female caseworkers, who are going to do the home, into the homes and working with these children. Uh, so you have female social workers working with females, moms. So. No, I was just saying, even in terms of the court, like we have a lot of deputy juvenile officers that are women too. Mm -hmm. And so we have a situation where, you know, the dad was, I mean, they were struggling to figure out why they couldn't get the dad engaged, but it was all, I mean, this was some gender and some race, mm -hmm. but it was all white women involved in the so, so that's the challenge. That's the barrier right there itself. White female women going to an African American home to engage them in social services, and that father right there is counting him out. Even if he's in the house, he's not going to have a, a female coming in and tell him how to parent his children. He's tuning out for that. So I, I used to work in an early Head Start program as well as a male involvement specialist. So this is one of the programs that and when I was introduced that I designed and I developed because it didn't exist before I started working it. So I developed it. And in order for me to understand some of the dynamics uh, of the fathers, I would go with some of the caseworkers into the homes of the children, just kind of observe, see what they're doing, what kind of practices they have in place. And whenever I would go to a visit in a home that both parents lived in the house, the caseworker would come in the house, come in, I sit down and observe, watch her, talk to the mother, talk to the child. The father would be in the next room watching TV or playing video games. The caseworker would never ask the father to come in and be a part of the discussion about his children, nor would he come out of the room to engage and be a part of the discussion. So you have that issue that's a barrier. Uh, parenting is viewed as, as a feminine responsibility by the child welfare practices, uh, the workers. Okay. Uh, but the safety of children could be bolstered by the recognition that men can and they often do uh, take on meaningful roles in the life of their children. Um, Child welfare services that target families need to acknowledge that fathers play significant roles in the life of their children. And uh, they should seek out new ways to involve fathers. Once they acknowledge that fathers do play an important role, they need to make those efforts to go out and seek out and engage them and include them in whatever plan of action that they have uh, for those children. So, uh, fathers have uh, traditionally not been as involved in child welfare case planning as mothers. And uh, workers themselves will admit their own bias. Because in over the 50 years, 
uh, of studies, uh, chances are that the women who are working in these cases, in these cases, grew up in single mother households. Those who admit their bias would say that fathers are not important. They don't engage with fathers because they don't believe the fathers are important. Because most likely over 50 years, when you have uh, 70%, oh, over 50% of households today end up in divorce. So you have children who are growing up over the last 50 years in single mother's household. Chances are these caseworkers single, grew up in single mother's household, households themselves. So that's where their biases comes in at. They don't believe that the father is important because they themselves grew up in a home without a father. So they don't think that it's important to engage the father who may be in the next room watching TV. Uh, one study found that uh, caseworkers did not even pay attention to the birth fathers, even though he was in the house. He was like a ghost. So, now, this is what I, I've been wanting to get to the whole time. Biblical principles for engaging fathers. I just presented all the secular stuff, all the empirical data, all the research that says fathers are important. The society says, the research, the scientific evidence says fathers are important. Woohoo! Great, good. <laughs> Biblical principles. Uh, a Christian social work practitioner, as Christian social work practitioners, we need to have a biblical basis for understanding the origins. Uh, a father's challenges to being responsibly involved in the life of his children. Matthew, it says, when the unclean spirit is going out of the man, uh, that spirit walks in dry places and uh, it seeks rest, but it finds none. Uh, then that spirit will say, I'm gonna re I'll return to, the, to my house. Notice that Matthew records that spirit who's cast out, Jesus cast that spirit out of the man, but that spirit has claimed possession of that man. Spirits are on assignment to uh, take fathers out of position. That is their assignment. Because that spirit says, I'm going back to my house. Because he's seeking somewhere to rest, but he can't find it. So he's going back to claim the house that he was cast out of. So when he comes back, it says, he finds the house empty. The man is empty. Why is he empty? Because he's been that spirit, that unclean spirit, that, that, that spirit of fatherlessness, <coughs> Uh, 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 irresponsibility and neglect has been cast out of him. He's cleaned up. He's empty, though. He's empty. So when that spirit comes back, that's how it finds him empty. Swept and garnished. So when you clean that spirit and cast that, that spirit of fatherlessness out of a man, he's going to start looking better on the outside. He's going, his clothes are going to start looking clean. He's going to start feeling better of himself. Something because that spirit is no longer inhabiting him. So when that spirit comes back, he's going to find him looking better than he did when he was cast out of him. He's swept the garments. So because he looked good, that spirit then he goes uh, and finds seven other spirits that are more deadly than he is, stronger than he is. And that spirit says, they enter back into that man. And the only way they can enter back into that man is because nothing was ever put in him. He's empty. When you cast a demonic spirit of fatherlessness out of a man, you've got to fill him with some godliness. You've got to fill him with some the spirit of, of, of God in him. So that when that demonic spirit comes back, it cannot re-inhabit him. Because it's coming back. 
right? But he cannot have him because he's, he's not empty. He's filled with the Spirit of God. So when those spirits come back and find him empty, they, they, they re-inhabit him again, and he's worse off than he was when they first left. And it says, even so shall it be for this wicked generation. If we don't help uh, this generation of fathers to uh, understand that they need to be filled with God's original purpose and intent for, for them, that, that generational cycle is going to continue. That's because demonic spirits will continue to come in and out of your life for seasons. That's that term, seasons. You can have a season without a demonic possession. And, 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 and before you know it, if, you don't, if you're not on guard, that same spirit will come back and inhabit you again. It's like alcoholism. You can be clean for a certain amount of time, but if you're not continually practicing habits to stay clean, that, that demon will come back into it. So, we got to train fathers both in the natural and supernatural. All that research we talked about in the beginning, it says that's where we got to start at. That's the natural. We got to look at the circumstances that are impacting fathers. We got to deal with their natural circumstances, their debt, the lack of education, the lack of employment, the lack of knowledge about the importance of their roles as fathers, the lack of identity, the lack of what their original purpose that God created them for as fathers. We got to start there. Uh, Ephesians 6 and 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, We've got to pull on the whole arm of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. The Bible says in some uh, translations, wiles of the devil. Those are strategies. That lets us know that the devil has a strategy. God has a plan for our life, so does the devil. He has a strategy to take fathers out. Why? Because he wants unrestricted access to our children. If the devil can remove fathers, he not only affects that father, but he affects all the generations that are going to come after that father. So if we take the men out, he not only affects that man, but he affects his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and all the descendants that will come after him. The devil takes the man out, he has unrestricted access to all the generations that may come in his bloodline. So that's why we got to put on the whole arm of God, because we got to be prepared for those attacks, those strategies that the devil has devised to take men out, to take fathers out. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against uh, rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And what am I talking about? Not just spiritual beings, but I'm talking these spiritual beings that have their bodies and authorities. What was the, what was the, uh, the research? Tells you about the authorities, the public policies, the, the political agendas, the court systems. Those operate by, by systems that are affected by the world system, which is what? The devil. The world system is the devil system. Any way you look at it, you may live in it, but it is the reality of this world. This world is, is, is the devil, as the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's, uh, but Satan is the prince of this world. And we talk about the world, we're not talking about the globe, we're not talking about the earth. We're talking about the system that we live in has been orchestrated by Satan since his since he's been here. Okay, so the Bible reveals God's original purpose and meaning of fatherhood. Uh, it details the original blueprint, which is uh, the curriculum that I wrote, outlining God's original plan and purpose for fathers in the life of their children. 
you got to take them back to Eden before Adam bit the apple and understand how did God design men to become fathers. He designed Adam to be a man first who could demonstrate that he could handle responsibilities by tilling the land, doing all those things that Adam outlined, that God outlined for Adam to do before he had a wife. Demonstrate that you're a man by having responsibility, not because you're 18, not because you're 21. You're not a man to God until you demonstrate you can handle the responsibilities of a man. When Adam demonstrated those things to God, God said it's not good for man to be alone. So then he gave him a wife because he demonstrated I can handle responsibility. He gave him a wife to help him do the things that God had put in him to do. After he gave him a wife, then they had children. That's God's order for fatherhoods. And he gives instructions on how to be successful with that. Even though they didn't have children until after the fall, that means all the children born in Adam were uh, suspect to the, to the curse. But God's original plan is before the fall, he demonstrated and, and wrote it out, this is what you got to do before you become a father. And that's where we got to get fathers to go back to, to understand their source, back to the beginning. Uh, and they also need to understand the source of their fall, which is Satan and the demonic forces and the strategies that they have to take fathers out of the life of children. Uh, when I work with fathers and I ask them, why aren't you involved in the life of your children? The number one answer they give me is, I didn't have a father in my life, so I don't know how to be a father to my children. So they vacate that responsibility because they simply don't know how. They walk around in darkness. Lack of knowledge is darkness. They walk around, they walk around in darkness and look in terms. Uh, Psalms 82 and 5 says, They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations are of the earth are, are out of course. When fathers are not in place, the foundations of the earth are out of balance. we got to have fathers in place so that the foundations of our children and our societies are back in order. Uh, so how do you help fathers walk out of darkness in their life? Uh, as indicated in scripture, the lack of knowledge or understanding about being responsibly involved fathers can cause problems in their life and they will be fairly uh, as a father because they just lack that knowledge. So having knowledge and understanding of their purpose as a father can lead them out of God's time into their destiny as a father. How do you do that? Matthew says, people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the reading and shadow of death, light is sprung up. So this is where we begin at. we got to begin to understand, we got to show fathers how do you become out of the darkness, what is the result, what is the, uh, the source of the darkness, and how do you overcome that? Uh, 1 Corinthians says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Matthew 4 and 6 says, And he shall turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. So this is one of the things that God is trying to get us to come back to. Turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. It's for a reason. We'll get to that reason in two seconds. Uh, as Christian social workers, it is our responsibility to guide fathers back into position, out of darkness, and into the light. That light is the knowledge of and acceptance of Jesus Christ into the light. That is the, that's the beginning process of restoration. How to restore fathers, how to re-engage fathers. we got to lead them back into the light. And that is the mandate as Christians, because in Matthew 28 says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, 
All authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He's talking to you and me, all of us Christians in here. We decide. He's telling us as social workers to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. We've got to get fathers to understand that. Let's repeat that. So, the curse has been in effect for thousands of years. It didn't begin in the 60s. Okay? Fatherlessness didn't start in the 60s. It started in the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, or, you know, with fathers and their grandfathers and before him. Uh, it's just not good enough to be as good a father as fathers were 40 years ago or even 100 years ago. Because Exodus 25 says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon their children until the third, fourth generations of them that hate them. So they'll start with today's fathers. They'll start with their grandfathers. It goes back because God uh, delivers the punishment of, of the fathers for generations. So we got to look further than back into the most current events and current strategies. What was working back in the, in the 60s and what was working back in the turn of the century when, when as we know it, when there were intact families and we thought that's the way things were. But God says, no, it didn't start then. Fatherlessness began a long time ago. We've got to look at how he intended to be. So God wants godly fathers to prepare them. He wants godly fathers to prepare his children for the Lord. Remember Malachi 4 and 6 says, he would turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the children brought back to the fathers. That was Malachi, that was the last Bible book of the Old Testament. There were 400 years of silence when God didn't say a word to his people. 400 years when he didn't send a prophet to say anything. In Luke 117, it's 400 years. This is now that Jesus is back. God has been silent for 400 years from Malachi to Luke. Why? He wants to see what his people are doing. They haven't done anything in 400 years to get turned back to him. So he decides, it's time for me to come down myself. He comes down in the form of Jesus. And then Luke says, He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's what he said 400 years ago, right? Well, look how he twisted. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And now it says, and the disobedient. Children are no longer children. Children are not disobedient. He don't use the same phrase as he used 400 years ago. He said, to, and, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. It's not just turning the hearts of the children to their fathers now. Because fathers can't just be fathers. they got to be wives. He said, he said, and the disobedient. Children are now disobedient and fathers now have to be wives. You just can't turn fathers loose on their children without any wisdom. So if you want children to stop being disobedient, you've got to have wise fathers. Wisdom is the uh, execution of knowledge. You know? It's the understanding and practice of knowledge that you have. Remember, fathers are not being fathers because they lack the knowledge of how to be one. They have no role models. So they walk around in darkness. Therefore, the foundation of the earth are all out of balance. So when you give fathers the wisdom, that means we got to work with fathers as social workers and give them the wisdom, the knowledge, the education, the understanding what their purpose is, how important their roles are. You have to, to research the empirical data that says fathers are important. 
You have the empirical data says these are the consequences of the children's lives and follows the action. So you're armed with that part. Now, with that as your basis, make an assertive effort to go out and, and, and teach fathers. Give them the education and the knowledge that they are important. And you need to know what your role is. You need to know your identity. You need to know your purpose as a father. So they can become wise. Wisdom of the just. Why? 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 To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. As Christian social workers, we got to help fathers to be wise so that they can prepare their children to be ready for the Lord. God gave us the mandate to go out and make disciples of the army nations. That means we got to help fathers get back in the position so that they can teach their children, raise their children, so that they can be knowledgeable of this purpose that God intended them to have. So what we see today in our society and our behavior of youth was prophesied in Isaiah. What would happen if men fathers remain out of position? Isaiah said 2,000 years ago, I will make my youth their officials. Children will rule over them. Does that look like anything we have in our society today? Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other. Does that sound like our society today? Uh, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old. Nobody, and uh, the, no, the nobody against the honor. And then he says, "Youth oppress my people. Women rule, rule over them." What we have is single mother households today, predominantly running our society. We have more and more single mother households, and as I, Isaiah said in 2,000 years ago, that women were ruled over them. It's what we have pretty much in our society today. Uh, my people, God, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from your path. So what we had didn't start today, is what I'm trying to say. It started, it was 2,000 years ago, Isaiah prophesied this is what we want to today. We didn't have good men and fathers. So the research is clear. Uh, it provides all the evidence. I'm going fast because we are about four minutes over. Research is clear. As Christian social work practice, it is imperative that we understand the root source uh, that caused fathers to be out of position. We got the research, but we need to know what our biblical obligation is to help fathers as social work practitioners. We first need to help fathers navigate what their current natural source uh, problems are. They won't listen to you talking about you got a spiritual deficit. When, they, when they, they don't have a job, when they can't pay their bills, they can't pay their child support, when they're facing a felony going, they don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about spirits and demonic possessions. I need, I need to pay my bills. I need an education. I need a job. I need this. I need that. Until you address the natural systemic barriers, you won't get them to hear anything about these spiritual issues. You've got to start with that. You've got to work with them holistically naturally and spiritually so that we can get fathers back involved in life and their children. 